Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a very funny comedian and writer, plus a talented artist to boot. Please welcome Bailey Norton. Hi! Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you here, Bailey. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with horror in general? Okay, I would say that I am not a huge horror buff. However, I I enjoy watching almost any horror movie i've ever seen because i love being scared i would say i don't particularly have like amazing taste in it i've been told just because i like all of it i like to feel <laughs> so i just like i just like being scared so yeah i don't i don't i wouldn't say i have like you know a lot of people have like those funko pop dolls of their like favorite <laughs> horror characters i don't have that but like i'll go to any scary movie and have a, a nice time I would say that's about where I am horror fan wise. Sure. Well, so then maybe this will be a tough question. Do you have a favorite subgenre, one that's more likely to get you excited to go see it? Maybe science fiction. I do. I love science fiction. I think I, I really enjoy like exorcism type thing, like Catholic fuck up discovery. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, segueing maybe into my, the uh, end all be all of my horror film picks. I definitely love like alien movies. Big fan. Hell yeah. That being said though, I've never seen Alien. (laughs) Well, it's very good. I will recommend it. Uh, Okay. Good to know. (laughs) Good to know. I'm full of shit and good to know. (laughs) I mean, we're not here to talk about that one. We're here to talk about the best alien movie, the best horror movie today. Yeah. And we're talking about Signs from 2002 by M. Night Shyamalan. I am stoked to be talking to M. Night again. He's only been picked once previously, but he's a Philadelphia icon. I'm curious if you're a fan of his in general or if this is just like the movie that transcends. No, I am a fan of his in general. I, I was the movie that you talked about, The Village. It was, yeah. I love The Village. I think it's great. I remember watching Lady in the Water when I was in middle school and thinking that was pretty weird and liking it. <laughs> There's a guy's buff on one side. That was, I mean, come on. What is that? <laughs> I really liked, oh my God, now I can't remember. Uh, uh, Unbreakable? Is that what mm-hmm, it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I will say I absolutely hated and will never forgive altogether now Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> How fucking dare you, sir? Yeah, but, it's not ideal. Oh, it's... <laughs> It's bad. It is so bad. I love that show so much. And so I, you know, I'm obviously not alone in thinking that that adaptation was insulting, but it's fine because what he did do that I will always love him for is, is make the movie signs. And I, hell yeah. Signs is just like, it was maybe the first like scary movie that I watched. I was like a child when I watched it. And I remember distinctly, I was eating KFC (laughs) my parents and my brother and we were just like watching signs and i was so fucking horrified that i kept <laughs> eating biscuits like the the kfc biscuits and i called them my safety biscuits so now my family always calls kfc biscuits safety biscuits there you go yeah. set a, a family precedent with this one yeah part of what i like about m night is that his movies are really packed full of symbolisms and motifs but they also don't get lost in the sauce you know he knows how to have fun it's literally Colleen's advice to Morgan. She says, it's okay to be silly. And play games, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that really does permeate the movie, not only in some of the straight-up jokes, of which there are many in this movie, yeah. 
But also, I think there is some like absurd humor that kind of falls into place here, like having a calm conversation with your wife who's just a torso pinned against a tree. It's so good. It's so <laughs> fucked up. And she's just like, hey. She's just like, hey, baby. <laughs> I don't hurt much. How are you? Like, she's just like, Colleen, my God. Yeah, there's so much funny, like genuinely funny shit that happens in signs. I can't remember her name, but the the female like police officer, like the, is she the, sh- I don't know if she's the sheriff. Sheriff, I, she's- I think. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. A delight. I think that mm-hmm. she's so funny. She's her diatribe about Lionel Richard <laughs> and the Wolfington brothers. Like great names, even <laughs> hilarious names. Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers. The funniest thing I've ever seen. And they say the full thing every time. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, and he yeah he mentions it again when when he sees the crop circles for the first time. He calls the police. He's like, it could be Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers. <laughs> As we have established previously, go into skateboard shops and spit on skateboards, which is so <laughs> funny. Like that is that's the crime that we learn about Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers. That's what she talks about. She's like, they went into the skateboard <laughs> shop and started spitting on the skateboards. I mean, can't be spit. doing that. <laughs> you can't be doing that. It's illegal. <laughs> anyway, it's so funny. There are so many like truly funny moments like uh when mel gibson is running around the house like they know they think that some tall man has like climbed on their house and they're like running around he and joaquin phoenix are running around the house trying to like catch this man and joaquin phoenix's character is like meryl he's like he's good at like kind of being a badass and he's like screaming and like cursing and he's like i'm gonna beat your fucking ass bitch (laughs) and then mel gibson his character is like a like he was a priest i guess and he He's like trying to curse and he's like, I am losing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm insane with anger. (laughs) I'm insane with anger. It's so good. It's so funny. It is really funny. And it's it's that on top of being incredibly dense. You know, he uses these incredible shot compositions that call back to his own previous movies, as well as homage various passions of his. You know, you mentioned Unbreakable. There's a lot of his love for comic books in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think here it's pretty clear that we're getting an, an homage to the science fiction B-movies of his youth. Plus, he's spoken about his love for Alfred Hitchcock before. And there's a lot of nods to the movie The Birds in this one. Yes, yes. Including the way that they literally just come from nowhere and are gathering and watching first before striking seemingly unstoppably. Yes. And there's even like a, there's a moment where like, because the implication is that they can make their ships look invisible from the sky. And so there's like footage of like a bird flying, hitting this invisible thing and then dropping straight down. And then we see like this image of like this dead crow sort of on the ground. It's Mm. very, very the birds. God, it's such a good movie. I don't even know. Like, okay, you're leading this conversation. I have so much to say about it. I'm just like, it is truly one of my favorite movies of all time. I fucking love Signs. Hell yeah. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, there isn't a commentary for this movie. I always like to listen to the commentaries, but there were some special features like behind the scenes stuff. So I watched those and he mentioned in the in the behind the scenes thing that his original plan for the movie was to literally never leave the house, which I think would have been interesting. Mm -hmm. But he thought that it wasn't the right way to motivate the movie because he wanted that claustrophobia, but not to have it be so forced. Interesting. I I mean, because I think so much of it happens in the house anyway. I'm glad that he 
did sort of make the world a little bit bigger than that and not much bigger. I mean, we go mm-hmm. to this like small town and we see sort of like the bookstore and like the, these weird, this is like a weird small town. Right. And we see Ray played by our boy M. Night Shyamalan. Classic Ray. Classic Ray just being M. Night. Yeah, I like that we get to see sort of like a little more of this town. Because I think, I don't know, sometimes I think that M. Night Shyamalan's movies can feel a little claustrophobic anyway. Mm-hmm. He, I think, is very like, I don't know, like almost like a tunnel vision sort of director. And I think that he did like a fairly good job zooming out just a bit, just enough with this, you know? Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, it, it does expand even beyond this movie, you, you know, uh, old. They're just on the beach <laughs> for the most part. I'm in uh, that. I'm dying to see it. <laughs> oh, it's good. I like it a lot. Yeah. This also, I think, shares a village or shares a link with the village, not only because similarly that mostly takes place in one spot, Mm -hmm. but also because this taps into the collective fears about outsiders and invaders, Mm -hmm. especially when you consider that this began filming two days after (gasps) 9-11. It did? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. They literally had like it was supposed to happen like basically like on 9-11 and then they had to push it back and there was like a big ser- like service at the beginning and everything and really? uh, he was like yeah it, <laughs> he said it was super intense so uh definitely i think that you can kind of feel how that might have impacted the story that they're pu- that they're telling here fully oh my god i mean what they couldn't have really planned for this but it is sort of like a you know, there there are notes of, like, xenophobia in there. And, like, you know, and, like, unfortunately in this one, rightly so, they're murderers. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, it is interesting. My mind is blown by that fact. I had no idea that this was a 9-11 film. <laughs> yeah, and it's especially interesting because of... He also said that he was specifically looking for some lightness and buoyancy. That he didn't want to get sort of drowned by the overbearing sadness of working with like a movie about being like scared of outsiders. Yeah. And so yeah. he he casted with that in mind. I think you can see it in Mel Gibson's his action roles tend to have a little bit of humor to them. Joaquin yeah. Phoenix is a very funny guy. Yeah. It I think you can see him sort of casting with a little bit of humor in mind even as it's a darker story. Totally. There yeah, there's there's so much lightness in this movie which I think makes it like very I don't know. It's not like, because when I, when I talked to you about it, I was like, I don't know if this is like considered a horror film. They're definitely like, it's terrifying. I guess that's what, I don't know, like really what defines horror. But if you're horrified like that to me. Sounds like it to me. <laughs> I mean, it's right there. But yeah. it's also just like such a good, like a, a lot of people, I think, criticize it for being like cheesy, which maybe it is, you know, like I watched it as a maybe like a fifth grader. So like I just have only like positive feelings and nostalgia for it. And and I still love it. I still think it holds up. It does something that like I like in just as a consumer of any kind of media, which is like. Uh, I don't even know if this is like technically politically correct to say, but I'm going to say it because this is like, I think describes it the best, but it uses every part of the Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like everything Mm -hmm. there is very intentionally there. Definitely. And I love that. There's no, like nothing seems frivolous or unnecessary or weird. It's like everything that is presented has a very 
like well thought out reason and it doesn't feel like anything is like wasted or thrown away and it just fits it just like fits perfectly into the shape that it's supposed to be and i love that yeah everything is set up so early too you know the sort of domino effect of everything leading to the end result is kind of what the whole movie is about you know this idea that there are no coincidences everything had to line up exactly right for them to be able to make it out of this movie yeah and uh that's that's great i love it too i love the scene where they're talking about that where you know there's two kinds of people there are people who believe that you know everything is chaos or and there are people who believe in signs and meryl joaquin phoenix's character it tells this story that i can never get out of my head i just think it's such a like (laughs) monologue about how he you know at a party and he was about to kiss this girl on a couch and she like leans in to kiss him and he realizes that he has gum in his mouth so he takes a split second to take the gum put it in a cup and then he's gonna kiss her and in the split second it took for him to take the gum out of his mouth this girl throws up everywhere and he's like i believe in signs there's no way like someone up there (laughs) saved me from like thank you god yeah thank you god (laughs) You know, and I'm like, I am not a religious person at all. I do not enjoy any sort of organized religion. However, I do. I am like a very spiritual person. And I think that this is like this movie is like spirituality, you know, even though it's like, obviously, like he goes back to like being a a, a priest, which I didn't know if you can have kids and be a priest. I don't know what kind of clergy. I don't know. I don't know. But, but this movie is like very much about spirituality and just like and perspective and like choosing to choosing to believe a certain, yeah. you know, or not. Yeah, it's it's a personal faith. His happens to be Catholicism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Joaquin Phoenix is amazing in this movie. You yeah. mentioned that he's Merrill, the boy who swings. I I love Joaquin Phoenix. You know, the master is a, a classic, and he's doing a lot here that's really working for me. You know, the character is a little slow on the uptake, which is fun, but he gets a good arc. Yeah, it's good. He's so good. I saw I so I went to um do you know who Shepard Fairey is? Yep. I went to a gallery opening of his and this was when Joker came out and Joaquin Phoenix was there with like Rooney Mara and fuck what's the director of Joker? <laughs> Todd Phillips, I think. Yeah, yeah, Todd Phillips was there, but everyone was just like in so much awe because Joaquin Phoenix was just like walking around casually looking at Robert <laughs> Barry's artwork, and we were all like, oh, "He's <laughs> that's, that's him." I was like, "That's Meryl." <laughs> <laughs> I go up to him and I talk to him about signs. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> "Yeah, that's great. Good for him. God bless." No, he's so he is so brilliant in this movie, and I love like. I just think that's such a rich character detail of someone who doesn't know how to like implement temperance in their life, like at all. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's just like he's like all or nothing to his absolute detriment and also to like his absolute salvation <laughs> yeah. of like himself and his family. And like, uh, it's just, it's such a like wonderfully specific detail. Definitely. And it's so interesting as well because it, it's so easy to see yourself in him in terms of like his accomplishments are his definition, you know, like yeah. he, he, view, or at least that's how he views himself. And part of his arc is learning to find self worth without those accomplishments looming uh. over him. And he just does such a great job. I mean, that's such a hard thing to communicate as like learning in a movie and i just think he does such a great job of uh bringing it to fruition he totally does i think it's such a beautiful performance 
Also, okay, can we talk about the scene where he's in the closet and he's watching this news <laughs> clip of like, mm-hmm. is it in Mexico? I think it's in Mexico. Right, Mexico City, yeah. Yeah, the, the alien like walks out from a bush at a birthday party and everyone's like screaming and it freeze frames. By the way, I think such a gorgeous shot, like still holds up to this day as very terrifying. But his reaction to it is like some of the best acting I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he's physically trembling and he can't take his eyes off the the screen and he's like backing away and like running into things, even though it's on the TV. He's like trying to speak to the kids on the TV. (laughs) And like he's just he just sells it and it's just like masterful. He's yeah, literally masterful. Yeah. (laughs) On the other hand, we have Mel Gibson as Graham. He's stoically dealing with something that has him checked out, although this is kind of teased throughout the movie, even though I literally did already spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen this movie yet. It's that his wife is dead and died in a horrible car accident. Shame. I heard Mel Gibson died immediately after this movie, I think. (laughs) We never heard from him again, unfortunately, (laughs) but he does a great job in it. (laughs) Wait, what? Just kidding. Uh, Because of how he is big anti-Semite and everything. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the lizard people replaced Malcolm, unfortunately, after signs. Yeah, exactly. He became an alien. They swapped him out. Yeah, they had to legally. That's how they (laughs) do. There are no aliens. I mean, there are aliens in this movie, but they were all actors like, you know, like actor aliens. And that was -hmm. was their payment. They get Mel Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fair trade. I think that was a fair trade. Want to live in his skin. And that's sag. <laughs> and honey, that's sag. He was very handsome. Yeah, he was so handsome. He does a great job in this movie too. He's like mm-hmm. he's perfectly unlikable. You know, like he's like shell shocked too the whole time. Oh, he's he's so, so disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. He. I mean, he plays the perfect. I don't know, man who has gone through something unbelievably traumatic and will not deal with it. You know. Right. Head in the sand. Head in the sand, like so dissociated, very removed even from his like kids lives. And like, it's like every word he speaks, it seems like very painful for him, you know? Definitely. I think he does such a, such an amazing job in that movie. The scene where he has the knife under the door and he's like looking for the alien and then he cuts off the aliens like fingers. That is also horrifying. Brilliant. Mm. Another funny moment in that scene He's like trying to, he, he like in his mind, he's not a believer, right? So in his mind, like this is a person who has broken in and is like wreaking havoc. And like at this point, it's actually pretty clear that this is aliens. Like everyone mm. else around him is like, it's aliens. And he's right. like, no, it's not. He's holding on to like this little shred of like hope that it's something normal. And so he's like talking to the alien who's like in this, in this pantry and he he's pretending to be a cop and he's like, we're going to take you in the paddy wagon downtown. <laughs> and then he's like, <laughs> he's like he cringes. He like cringes at his own. Like, he's just like, I'm just, my, I remember my dad laughing really hard at that. He, he reminds me like a little bit of my dad, just like very competent. My dad's a lot happier than uh, he is in that movie, but just like, <laughs> confident and like, he has like a very, you feel safe around him. You know, when he's on screen, you feel safe. Just such yeah. a Absolutely. I mean, even Meryl is like, can it, can't you be like you used to be and provide some comfort? And yes. it's like, yeah, that's what he feels very comforting. Yeah, he does just inherently. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mel Gibson. Wonderful, wonderful performance. 
Also, everybody rightfully talks about how great Haley Joel Osment is in The Sixth Sense, but part of that character is that he's extremely mature and reserved for his age. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the roles of Morgan and Bo, played by Rory Culkin and Abigail Breslin, are both spectacular as well, and arguably more of a challenge for Knight to write these because they have to more be more accurately child characters instead of someone forced to grow up like Cole was. Yeah. Oh my god. Abigail Breslin makes this movie. So good. She's amazing in it. I cannot believe, because she's what, six or seven years old when she's filming this? And she's a baby, absolutely making your, she just breaks your heart. You know what I mean? She's just like Mm -hmm. truly the most innocent little thing. (laughs) And I just, there's there's this uh, moment where she's like, what is she? She's like, she she gets out of bed and she's like, there's a monster outside my window. Can I have a glass of water? And then she does this thing with her tongue that you just like couldn't teach it. Like you can't. <laughs> that's not you don't learn that in acting school. I can't even do it. She's like, yeah, and it's just like, <gasps> what? How did you do that? <laughs> it's just like she's so good in a way mm-hmm. that is so captivating like she is this movie abigail yeah. Roslin as Bo is this movie water yeah. tasting gross to her we've all been there and she and mm-hmm. her just like not you know she doesn't have like the organizational skills she's not gonna put a glass of water back she gets more <laughs> exactly oh she just provide in every possible way she provides ammunition in this movie and it's just wow i love her hell yeah hell yeah the movie was released on July 29th, 2002, and so it was just the 20th anniversary the other day. Oh my god! <laughs> Do you believe in signs, or are they just coincidences? <laughs> it's 20 years old, that's fucking crazy. And M. Night did an Instagram Live with Abigail Breslin that I watched, and it was very fun. And there wasn't really anything groundbreaking from it, but Abigail said that her brother would charge his friends to have her record a voicemail message for them. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, my God. She's just one of my favorite actors. Little Miss Sunshine might be my favorite movie of all time. It's great. And she, oh, my God. I just think she's a genius. Hell, yeah. The other thing that I got from that Instagram live is that M. Night said Mel Gibson would eat dog food to make people laugh. (laughs) What? Why? But they had okay. those dogs there, so you would just like eat the dog biscuits. This man. <laughs> why did he have to go and be an anti-Semite? He's so good. He's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny, yeah. dude. If someone ate dog food in front of me to make me laugh, I'd be like, "We're getting married." <laughs> that is the best thing anyone's ever done for me. It was. It's really great. What a fucking strange commitment. I love that. <laughs> The movie was a big success. It made $408 million on a $72 million budget, and I would probably consider it to be the last of M. Night's first wave of movies, where he was, for the most part, pretty unimpeachable in the public eye before he got crucified for daring to soar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he should have been crucified. He really got too big for his britches there. <laughs> Let's get into the actual movie, the the plot of it here. Okay. 
I mean, so much happens right away in this movie, in the first couple shots even, you know, it's jam-packed. It starts surreal and dreamlike with those, like, wavy distortions in the backyard from the glass. And then Graham wakes up with the start. Yeah. He's blocking out his fantasy life captured in the family photo with his frickin' noggin, uh, which is re- obviously represents real life. And he's not only blocking out the, ho- the still whole family, but also his faith since he's wearing the reverence outfit in the photo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you can also kind of view the window as a picture frame, which freezes the snapshot of the backyard as basically the same representation of their family during happy times, the grill and the table for Graham and Colleen, the swing set in the playhouse for Morgan and Bo. And there's like a quiet, quiet melancholy to the emptiness and stillness of it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And also his curtain, curtains have friggin' crop circle designs on them. <laughs> It's so good because if I, I haven't seen this, I need to like rewatch this. It's been a, a couple, maybe a year or so since I've seen signs, but maybe more than that. It starts out with a scream, right? He hears one of his children screaming and he sits straight up, right? That, that's the, the first thing you hear. Mm-hmm, yeah, because there's so much visual storytelling happening as well. There's I mean, it's all happening kind of off screen in a way that's interesting. You know, like you said, it is a scream, but. You see specifically that he's alone now because he's not it's recently enough that he's not used to it because he's still on the side of the bed yeah. and not in the middle. There's also a taken down cross from the dust on the wall and there's a second scream from outside so chaos and panic set in as Graham and Merrill both realize that the kids are missing in the cornfield and he said that he literally did this action sequence to start uh, to take a cue from James Bond. Okay, M. Knight. Whoa, what? Yeah, he said that they always start with an action sequence, so let's go for it, too. <laughs> okay, hell yeah. I love that. I also love just the image of the cornfield. Like, it- it's great for horror, you know? It's both very restrictive for your vision, but also yeah. permeable, so things can sneak up on you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's such a great setting because it is like you do get kind of lost in it. You know, it's like such a repeating pattern that it's like an eye spy or like one of those grids. And it's like all of them are nines, but there's like one six. Right. Tell something's a little off, but you can't tell why or where. That's Mm -hmm. sort of like the cornfield to me. It's just like it's almost like an illusion that you're looking into the whole time. Yeah. It's like mesmerizing almost. You You can get lost in it. Yeah. There's also these amazing tracking shots as he runs through the corn, which that must have been incredibly difficult. Oh, my God. I know. I actually remember watching some of the behind the scenes about that. Had signs on DVD. Not to brag. (laughs) And all right. So, you know, he's he's running through the cornfield. He's going to chase whoever's making these crop circles and like, you know, hurting his crop or whatever. And his flashlight goes out and uh, he falls down, I think. And, And as he's he's trying to get his flashlight to work and he sees a leg, a very not human leg, like step in, step out of the path and into the corn. And it is horrifying. It is so scary. Uh, That's actually, it's a little later in the movie, but I mean, that scene is amazing. The leg doing the little razzle oh, dazzle. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> We're like kind of chronologically, but yeah, I just remember that behind the scenes. Oh yeah. I remember seeing them cause they had like this prop, you know, it's obviously a prop and like on a stick and watching them like move it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if we had seen the guy move the leg, it would have been, you know, <laughs> movies are magical, aren't they? Like, Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. He runs through this cornfield. He finds Bo alone yeah. and they ask about Morgan, but she just says, are you in my dream too? And 
I don't want to say this movie is all Bo's nightmare because I don't think that it needs that wrinkle. No. But there is enough like evidence to make it a fun angle to just like look at the movie from and be like, hey, maybe there's like a little bit of seeds to this because it does help to smooth over some of the logic. Totally. And one of these pieces is right here in that Graham starts to deny that this is a dream, but he's interrupted halfway. You know, we've also already had this emphasis on waking from nightmares that does persist through the movie and the distorted view through the window to start. So there's some dreamlike stuff happens where you're like, yeah, maybe it could yeah. be a little. <laughs> I like, listen, I, uh, I'm the kind of person who like hates theories like that. <laughs> not, not that I hate the theory, but I'm just like, if that were the case, like they would have done a better job telling us that that was the case. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like we don't need to be like, like people who are like, um, Hercules and Ariel are actually cousins. Like, I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need, we don't need that. Just watch the movie. Fair enough. And what it's saying, like, just be, I don't know. I, I appreciate the straightforwardness that movies sure. have. And so when people are like, Hermione had cancer the whole time. And like, oh. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. fucking <laughs> <laughs> didn't. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm a curmudgeon about that. Make your own decisions out there, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I do like when Morgan says, I think God did it because we know his father has lost his faith. And there's kind of this power game going on between them because of the son's yeah. anger at both that and the death of his mother. So he's kind of like needling him here. And he does also manifest it in the way that they like turn each other's heads physically. The dynamic between yeah. these two is, is really great. You know, what a challenge for a young actor like that, too. He is so good. I don't know his name. I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything else, but like. He's in succession now, I believe. What? Yeah. Rory Culkin. Oh, that's. Oh, my God. He's in everything. Okay, duh. I didn't realize that was him. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's brilliant. And in everything. Wow. Yeah. The dogs are also flipping out and the clearing itself and the size of the clearing being revealed in a staggered fashion, I thought was really cool. Mm. And it's just great framing as well. You know, the family looking and feeling very small in the face of these events as it just expands bigger and bigger. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it continues to pull out, revealing that there are multiple clearings. And we get this perspective from up in the sky. Feels like God or aliens ourselves, which is a kind of a cool perspective shift. Yeah. I remember, too, like as we're like zooming out and seeing the entire crop circle, the score starts to pick up and the mm-hmm. score of this movie is unreal. It is oh, so yeah. great. And this is like the first like little taste of it that we get. And you're like, Oh fuck. That's the feeling <laughs> that gives you as you see these circles from the, the bird's eye view. And you're like hearing this really eerie, almost uplifting, but in a minor way, like, it's just like, Oh fuck. Something crazy <laughs> happened here. yeah it's really cool yeah it's really cool james newton howard is the guy who did the score they're frequent collaborators him and m night and i also love that part of the score picking up in this moment makes this feel like a title card like we're maybe like looking at the word signs in crop circles yes these crop circles and circles in general start to take on kind of a symbolic representation of the alien threat at large as the movie goes on and as he tries to figure it out, he starts calling around about Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers. <laughs> My fucking boys. <laughs> There's a moment that I love here where Morgan thinks the dog is sick and Graham says he'll he'll call Dr. Crawford. And Morgan says he doesn't treat animals, but Graham says he'll know what to do, which works for us now going back to it because we know he doesn't want to take the dog to the vet because the vet is, of course, 
the one who killed his wife. Oh my God. I never put that together. There we go. Oh my God. That's why he doesn't want to take the dog in. Yeah. Holy shit. He thought of everything. He thought of everything. (laughs) Oh my God. This is when the sheriff arrives to check things out. And usually dialogue is shot over the shoulder. But during the first third of this movie, there's some really interesting kind of under the shoulder framing that allows the sky to kind of loom over everyone. Mm -hmm. The invisible threat of the aliens sort of omnipresent at all times. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And what adds to that is that once they retreat to the house, this positioning of the camera does persist despite the lack of open sky, which creates kind of this subliminal awareness that the danger isn't over. They're still going to come from above, which we'll see later that they literally come in through the attic. Oh, my God. That's so true. All of this is like blowing my mind even more. <laughs> oh, That's what the show's all about, baby. <laughs> <laughs> No, it really is, though. I'm like, holy shit. I gotta watch it again tonight. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Bo thinks her water is contaminated. Like we said, she has this... It's like a tick, but it's not a tick. Yeah. A compulsion, we'll call it. Yeah. And it does come back frequently. This specific glass that she has is covered in green circles with a star in each on the design. So, uh, you know, obviously that connects those alien motifs that I was talking about with the water as part of the eventual conclusion. Mm-hmm. I know that you said that you are you don't like the dream prism, but for the people at home... Willing to listen. I'm willing to listen. <laughs> Sometimes the camera will kind of look through these glasses of water and distort the scene even more, especially scenes with sleeping or with the aliens in frame. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, this, like I said, it's, I don't, I personally also don't think that it needs the wrinkle. Yeah. But I just think that it is interesting how much dream logic there is, even if it's not actually a dream. You know, they emphasize her, her feelings and he's like, oh, did you have uh, another dream about me dying or <laughs> whatever? Yeah. But Houdini the dog suddenly becomes aggressive and genuinely a good jump scare from this dog actor. <laughs> Houdini Houdini and Isabel, these German shepherds, great actors. Yeah, it is scary. It is scary. He like kind of jumps up out of nowhere and Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, you dogs, you're supposed to be our friend. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And the sheriff tells Graham that this has been happening with animals all over the county. They're acting like they feel a predator around. Mm -hmm. Morgan has to kill Houdini to protect them. He was defending Bo with the grill fork, and the dog fell on him, luckily off screen. Devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do have to laugh, you know, like I said, Merrill is kind of slow on the uptake a lot of times. He's just behind, and uh, he arrives right on time after this with a bowl of potato salad. (laughs) Just like, oh, what's happening, everybody? Yeah. (laughs) Houdini's dead. Yep. Graham is startled awake once more. This is the scene with, there's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? And of course, first of all, like we said, incredible, incredible performance. But also looking back at it, it changes from a funny non sequitur to asking for the weapon to defeat it. <gasps> That's so true. Oh, my God. <laughs> and just just like how nonchalant she is, too. There's a monster mm-hmm. outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? Yes, exactly. In her child mind, these are the same priority. <laughs> Maybe she knew. Maybe she wow. knew somehow the whole time. She is a very cute kid. It's a very sad scene where they talk about like the mom not answering them from beyond the grave. Yeah. And it is inter- interrupted, though, by him spotting someone through the window standing on the roof. Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers are back. They're back. 
with a vengeance. <laughs> this is when they run around the house like we were talking about before, and they can't find it. It moves too quick and it gets away. Mm-hmm. So the sheriff comes back. I love this line. How's working at the gas station? And Meryl says, stimulating. <laughs> <laughs> stimulating. Oh, my God. I can, like, very clearly hear him and see him saying that. And I am realizing that I that is the moment that I was like, yeah, I have a crush on Joaquin Phoenix. And who could blame you? Who could blame you? Who could blame me? <laughs> You can also see this fear of outsiders that we were talking about crop up here again when the sheriff tries to pin it on a woman that was passing through town. And she was like, this woman was acting weird. And she and we never saw her again. So she must be the one doing the crop circles, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or there are like, yeah, what does she say? Or they could be what kind of Olympians? <laughs> oh, yeah. Scandinavian. Right. Oh, you don't know? Like, did you see who it was? And they were like, oh, it was some guy. And she was like, oh, you don't know that it could be a woman. And he's like, I've never seen a woman run that fast. She's like, I've seen these Scandinavians <laughs> on TV. I'm telling you. Right. She's so good. She's so funny. <laughs> she is great. But they're interrupted by Bo, who says that the same show is on every station because the, new, the news is interrupted to show that the crop circles have popped up all over India and to say it's for real. And obviously, the circles indicating their locations is as explicit as they can get about the motif. And they look a lot like the circles in the wallpaper design of their house, which, of course, boosts the feeling of them being everywhere. Mm-hmm. The family does head into town to take their mind off things. No radio to Morgan's displeasure as Graham continues to stick his head in the ground. And this is great because they'll get a chance to split up, get some backstory for each of them, and then rejoin each other for the main plot. <laughs> yes! We're going to town. Hell yeah. And, it, you know, it starts off with this nice aerial shot, too. And it's fitting that it cuts right as the church takes up the entire frame. Mm-hmm. Morgan goes to buy the book on extraterrestrials with Bo. Merrill goes to talk with the army recruiter who speaks with him about, or he spooks him with talk about how this has been the probing force. The army recruiter. Oh, my <laughs> God. This man is like, if anyone alive is an animatronic secretly, it is this guy. <laughs> He does not blink or move his coffee cup at all. He has the most piercing eyes and the squarest jaw. And he's yeah. like, so he's like a drawing. He's like a children's <laughs> drawing of like, you know, an army recruiter. He's so he's brilliant. He just has such a crazy look about him. Yeah. And he does recognize Merrill from his minor league baseball records, including a 507 foot home run, which is crazy that is an insane distance yeah (laughs) and he has the wonderful line why weren't you in the pros making stacks of cash and getting your toes licked by beautiful beautiful women m night you dog (laughs) that line is so funny the way that he says it too stacks of cash and getting your toes licked by beautiful women it's so out of nowhere it truly like i've seen this movie a couple times now and i am like taken by surprise every single time (laughs) it is a record scratch like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> but then Meryl says didn't feel right not to swing right right well because surprise surprise Lionel Pritchard himself is there we see goddamn Lionel Pritchard and he's just as hot as you think it's Michael Showalter <laughs> incredible he's doing like the Charlie Sheen Ferris Bueller bad boy look <laughs> hot in this movie as Lionel Pritchard and he's so much older than you think he's gonna be too yes 
<laughs> when whenever they're talking about Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers, you think, all right, this is a 17-year-old and two 14-year-olds who hang out with him. No, right. oh prayer. This is a 40-year-old man. <laughs> and we never find out about the Wolfington brothers, but Lionel Pritchard, 40 years old. I heard he was actually still playing his Wet Hot American Summer character, so he was playing a much younger character. Oh my god, so <laughs> funny though. It is great. And he says that Merrill also had the minor league strikeout record because mm-hmm. he just went up there and swung with all his might every time. And then, yes, he says it, it just didn't feel right not to swing. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny when he fakes the punch. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lionel's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So good. Graham goes to pick up some asthma medicine for Morgan when the pharmacist farm insists on confessing <laughs> to him. <sighs> Oh my god, her confession yes, is amazing. delicious. The, when she like mouths the word blowjobs, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, girl. Karen, is her name Karen? Am I making that um, up? I, I wrote it down here. What is, uh, Tracy Abernathy. Sorry, Tracy Abernathy. That's right. She- I don't want any of you spending time with Tracy Abernathy alone. Is that understood? <laughs> Yeah, her going through the curses is so funny when she's like, yeah. is douchebag a curse? Douchebag a curse? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, it depends on how you use it. <laughs> <laughs> what about, Rick, you're such a douchebag for sleeping with Jenny? <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, probably that's be. A curse. <laughs> this is then when they spot M. Night himself. The whole family is stunned and they lock eyes, so he hurries away. Yeah, he scurries. Oh my god! And then Bo goes, "Was that him?" Mm-hmm. So and we're like, know. "Who? Yeah, who's him exactly?" And it's great framing of them all in the restaurant, even though it's like, I feel like it was a very weird way to actually eat like lunch together. <laughs> They're all like around one side. It was sad table. and psychotic. And it makes me feel lonely thinking about that family going out <laughs> to eat lunch. Yeah, it's not cute. It's not, it's not warm. <laughs> There's no warmth there. No, no, definitely not. They get home and Morgan thinks he's catching a signal from them in air quotes on the baby monitor. And very funny rant about nerds from Merrill here. <laughs> Yeah, He says, this crop stuff is just about a bunch of nerds who never had a girlfriend their whole lives. They're like 30 now. They make up secret codes and analyze Greek mythology and make secret societies where other guys who never had girlfriends can join in. And they do stupid crap like this to feel special. It's a scam. Nerds were doing it 25 years ago and new nerds are doing it now. And then Bo says, why can't they get girlfriends? Why can't they have girlfriends? <laughs> oh my god. It's great. It's so funny. Morgan is sure it's a code, though, and there is a real sense of wonder when he holds up the baby monitor on the roof of the car. And in the making of feature, Knight said, There's always a scene in my scripts with a lot of moving parts, and it often gets cut out from the movie. And as I was writing this, I saw, Uh oh, this is the one. <laughs> that what he thought was going to get cut? Yeah, because he said there's so many, it's very fragmented. There's like the car interior and then standing outside the car and then on top of the car. And it's kind of a weird transition in tone where they're arguing and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, actually, this is wonderful as we're actually hearing something as we touch and the music is swirling and everything. It's so, that is such an iconic scene. 
It's mm-hmm. so iconic. In fact, I just had this memory. I haven't thought about this in years. You know, when you're in school, I don't know if they did this wherever you grew up, but like we, when I was in elementary school, we would do, they would give us like blank books, like these blank white books. And you would have to like write and illustrate your own little book. Mm. Do you ever do that? Uh, that sounds familiar. So I, for my story, I fully just ripped off signs and <laughs> seen specifically <laughs> with the baby wow. monitor, like this specifically, I ripped off the whole thing. <laughs> like, signs hugely popular. So your teacher is like, I think I've seen this before. <laughs> no, I wrote this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Wow, this movie really impacted me. Okay. Hell yeah. So they're holding hands. Morgan is like, there's two of them. They're talking. And they're th- these like, it does sound like some communication happening. It's very, very um upsetting click language. Yeah. Part of the reason why M. Knight said that he thought this scene was so important and why he was very eager for it not to get cut is that it's the last time they get to enjoy this phenomenon in a fun way. That they get to be like, wow, look at this. There's aliens above us. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because from then on, pretty grim. Yeah. (laughs) That night, the dog, the other dog, Isabel, is freaking out at the cornfield. And uh, Mel Gibson says, you're going to feel very silly when it turns out that this is all make-believe, he says to the dog. But then this is where we get the old razzle-dazzle leg. Yes. Oh, my God. And then he goes in and he's like, I think it's time to turn on the TV. Yes. Yes. And he's, like, shocked. And his family, like, slowly notices him, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it's the frame is split in, like, three fields of depth where Meryl is, like, way up front. And then he comes in and breaks the plane between him and the kids in the background. Just really cool stuff. Yeah. And the news shows, yeah, these 14 UFOs over Mexico City. And it's very cute when they squabble over Bo's ballet recital tape. (laughs) My ballet recital. And Morgan's like, in the most like articulate and nicest way possible, he's basically like, hey, fuck your ballet recital. (laughs) But she is pissed about it. And so they say, grab something else. And he grabs Meryl's swimsuit special instead. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. My ballet recital. I love that so much. The kids fall asleep on the couch, and Meryl cautiously starts to talk about the end of the world with Graham. Like we said, he's looking for some comfort. This is where they have that long conversation about faith and fear, divine meaning or chance. Do you see signs, or do you believe that people just get lucky? Do you believe that someone is there with you, or are you alone, is what he says. And then, you know, you get this story about uh, the hooking up with the girl and the gum and everything. Mm -hmm. And Graham says that he feels alone. That he doesn't feel like there is someone watching out for him anymore. Yeah. Sad. It's really sad, actually. Is this where we get our first flashback? Yeah. So we get like a little tease of it. Yeah. And uh, it it flashes back there. uh, And and then, yeah, Graham wakes up and he's all disoriented in the living room. Also, I do want to say he M. Night said that they got it in one take from each of them for that monologue. What? Yeah. Who knows if that's true, but. (laughs) Talent in this movie. Unreal. Like I mentioned earlier, the circles are kind of representative of the alien menace at large. And here, the circular rug looks huge, and it surrounds Graham as he's kind of struggling to come to grips with things. And he tracks a bunch of extension cords to the closet where Meryl is shut in, and he's watching the TV. And he said he took it in there for the kids' protection. They were getting obsessed like you were warning about, and they should be playing furry furry rabbit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which, hi, what is that? 
I mean, you don't you don't know furry furry rabbit? Come on, Bailey. Furry rabbit. I remember watching that and thinking that he was talking about chubby chubby bunny, which wow. is put a bunch of marshmallows in your mouth and try to say chubby bunny, and then like like that is a real game that kids play, and like a lot of them choke and die. <laughs> yeah, this is making a lot more sense to me because I was similarly like. That's that's nothing. There's no thing called that's furry furry. Yeah. Furry furry rabbit is <laughs> not a thing at all. Yeah. There is also an interesting restart though, where they show Graham coming out of the bathroom like he did when we first heard Bo scream, and then it repeats the opening shot of the yard through the window, but without the distortion, and he's back in denial. Oh, I didn't notice that. The distortion is gone from the window. Yeah. And the kids are reading in Morgan's room wearing these tinfoil hats, which is really funny. Love. So they can't read our minds. Exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, (laughs) at this point, try anything. Sure. Sure. Who wrote this? Scientists who've been persecuted for their beliefs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That is so funny. The two possible reasons, according to the book, for this invasion are... Greetings in the spirit of exploration, or they're hostile, they've used up all the resources on their planet, and they're looking to harvest our planet next, and this is next to a great pulpy drawing of a home just like theirs, being attacked with a family just like them lying still in the lawn. Do you see signs or coincidences? It's signs. It's like, (laughs) no, that drawing, though, it's just like, is it Graham who goes, that kind of looks like our house? Yeah. (laughs) He shouldn't have said anything. He shouldn't have said anything. No, no, I also thought it was interesting that that particular drawing, it doesn't have just three figures. It has one clear adult and two clear children. Yeah. Which is so weird because if you're going to draw a dead nuclear family, <laughs> why would you take out one mom? I don't know. Why would you? Why? Why only one adult? Interesting. Just right. Like- it would be a strange coincidence. That's for sure. Yeah. They get a call from Ray Reddy. And he unconsciously looks into his wife's sewing room, seemingly untouched since her death. And where the camera is positioned from gives it a really cool look through the slightly open doorway. And you can kind of read that as like a crack in the defenses and steadiness that doors typically represent throughout movies. And what happened isn't completely revealed yet. So this works really well for a first time viewing, in my opinion, where you just get this glimpse of the uh, sewing room. And you're like, what the heck is going on? Yes. Yes, it's so good. He heads for rays while the children look into the sky with a telescope, and this really combines a lot of the motifs that I've discussed so far. You have a circle view, the open sky, and Bo is telling Morgan that she dreamed he died, and the camera kind of slides down to look at the ceiling, which is then further covered in clouds and fighter planes, and they're kind of mobilized against the enemy, but can also be death from above. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot going on in that scene. <laughs> a lot happening, yeah. <laughs> but Graham gets to Ray's and he's standing at the door, but the mailbox with Ray's name dominates the screen in the same way that Ray has dominated Graham's life since the accident, which I thought was a cool piece of visual storytelling again. Mm-hmm. And there doesn't seem to be anyone inside, but the place is a mess and Graham notices Ray sitting in his car, which is all packed up. And they talk about how the death of his wife was sort of a nega miracle. It was late, and there was nobody else on the road for so long. Plenty of chances for it to happen anywhere else and just result in a headache in a ditch. And he's telling him this story, and I'm like, this is not helping, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, sir, shut your goddamn mouth. 
yeah, he's he's like it had to happen right then. I I remember that feeling like kind of powerful, weirdly. Yeah. Like, because I think one of my worst fears in life is to commit manslaughter with my car. Sure. Truly, I think it would be very hard to live with yourself after that. And thinking back on like this monologue where he's like talking about like it had to be right then that I fell asleep and hit her. Like there was no one else. It had to be that exact moment. Mm -hmm. It's just like he is finding comfort in the fate of, of it all. You know what I mean? Because he has like, there's truly at that point, like pretty much nothing to live for. You know, you just like, he's, he's clearly someone who like has a caring heart. He's a fucking veterinarian, you know? And so what a nightmare. And he's like, yeah, like this is his way of, finding comfort and, and like justifying what happened in, in a way that's like, so beyond him, like it, like, like maybe he's excusing himself. Like it wasn't his fault. It had to happen this way. Definitely. And ultimately this becomes another one of those, do you see signs or coincidences moment? Because not to jump too far ahead, but so much of what causes Graham to ultimately regain his faith is ripple effects from Ray being too scared to call him and having the number next to his phone for months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he says, don't go in there because I locked it in the pantry. Okay, I'm going to hang out near water at the lake. Bye. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think they like water. Why do you think that? Like, what made him think that? <laughs> Great question. Great question. Oh, oh, yeah. He says, like, uh, none of the crop circles showed up near water. So that must mean they don't like it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, this man is a scientist. So. There you go. I guess. So. Yeah. One of his veterinary patients uh, told him. A parrot was like, I don't think they like water. And he was like, oh, great point. <laughs> yeah, a bird. A bird that was trading for syphilis. We have <laughs> Those birds are always getting syphilis. You gotta watch out for them. Horny. I mean, what can you say? <laughs> Let them live. Meryl, meanwhile, is waking up in his cozy little closet bunker thanks to some startling footage on the news from a birthday party. Oh, so startling. God, it's so good. Oh, I love that scene. Yeah, it's really incredible. M. Knight shot this himself with a handheld camera, which I thought was fun. Really? Yep. He went in there. He got his little VHS tape. And I love the struggling to focus that like creates the tension. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, Joaquin Phoenix is just so great in this moment where he's like, oh, and like such shock and horror. Yeah. But also there's kind of like an orgasmic satisfaction where he's like, yes, proof video there it is yes totally yeah he sees the thing that is only ever around him in in the periphery and it's like finally right there right the his obsessive watching has culminated in this the rewards have have finally come yeah and m Knight said that he told joaquin he wanted him quote in the jackets at the end out of fear surrounding himself and the tv with quote the mundane which he said what's more mundane than a bunch of winter jackets <laughs> oh my god i don't even remember that part that's so funny and seeing the alien is terrifying especially because it confirms that the paranoia about the worst is real and so like what else could be real then <laughs> yeah 
This is the perfect timing for us to now take things very seriously when we cut back to Graham, who is mirroring the movements of the alien to freeze and stare down the path of framing across a messy kitchen at the shut pantry door. And I love how quiet it is compared to the screaming and panic of the birthday party video, which lets us kind of like sit and contemplate it with him. Yes, yes. It's so, it's almost worse how quiet it is. (laughs) He's so completely by himself in this house that was minutes ago abandoned by its owner. (laughs) The owner who killed his wife. Yeah. The (laughs) owner who is a manslaughterer. Ugh. Ugh, Ray. Ray. This scene was shot over several weeks, they said, because what they would do is they'd come and shoot a little bit of it whenever they lost the kids for the day because of just like labor laws and they couldn't work that long. So they would be like, all right, uh we only have mel so let's get back to the to the kitchen oh my god really that's so Mm -hmm. funny so this was a, a very long scene to shoot but as he approaches the camera tilts up again looking at the ceiling slash sky and you can see something pacing from the shadows underneath the door which is terrifying especially when he speaks and then it freezes yes uh like there is someone in there yeah yeah the police are here. I'm with them. I'm a police officer. <laughs> God, that is so funny. The police are here. <laughs> I am a police officer. What a perfect line of dialogue. <laughs> and he delivers it so perfectly stiffly as well, where he's like, I know that I'm not being convincing, uh, but I he- have to try. <laughs> kicking himself with every word that he says and it is so funny grabs this knife intending to use it as a weapon but then he does catch a glimpse of his own reflection and he realizes he can do it he can use it for the same for whatever is in there and it doesn't look like there's anything in there but the mundane sight is both a relief and infuriating especially now that we know that they can blend in so we could be looking right at it it's a really great like dread moment for me yes yes When he retreats, though, the wide-angle lens makes him look really small in the doorway, even smaller than he did coming in, almost like the room is mocking him for leaving. (laughs) He stops once again, and he goes back for it, and when he puts his head down by the opening, it grabs for him, scary claws as everything explodes into action, and he has to grab the knife and chop off some fingies. Awful. (laughs) And and there's like a weird slow-motion moment here. I, I always thought, like, that was so out of place and strange. <laughs> He's like, he chops off the fingers, and then the slow-mo part is of his face just going. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together for him. Ugh, alien claws. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Meryl has joined the kids in wearing the tinfoil hats now, which is really funny. So funny. <laughs> And Graham sits on the stairs, which, first of all, there are circles covering the entire part of the screen that's sectioned off by the railing and surrounding Graham. But also, he's the only one who doesn't, well, I mean, he's still in denial in some fashion. And so uh, he is split from the rest of the family by the stairwell. It's so funny also when Graham is like, I heard this theory about them not liking water and Morgan scoffs at him. It's like, oh, yeah, that sounds made up, Morgan. This is where you draw the line. Morgan's such a little, like, a little teenager. You know what I mean? Like, he's not a teenager yet, but he's, like, when when little boys are, like, 12 and they're almost a teenager and they're, like, everyone's stupid but me. Like, Morgan is, like, so perfect at that. Oh, yeah. 
especially this, I mean, the fact that he is so angry with his father to start with, that he's just like, anything that he said, I would have been pushing back on. And the fact that it is kind of silly to be like, oh yeah, the vet was like, I think they don't like water. Oh, and like the guy who wrote the book that he has, he's like, I don't like Dr. Bimbu said anything about water. And then Mel Gibson's like, well... Does Dr. Bimbu like it's just like so funny and then like saying the name of this like the most insane Dr. Seuss sounding character ever <laughs> writing this book about extraterrestrials. It's true. And I mean there is no greater insult than saying someone's name in a mocking tone. <laughs> Dr. Bimbu. Yeah. So true. They vote on if they should head for water or hole up there, and it looks like it's lake time until Morgan brings up their mom's memory at the house and Bo changes her mind to staying there. That's a dirty trick, Morgan. Yeah. Wow. It is interesting, though, I think that Bo, who is the one who's talked about the contaminated water, is the one who immediately believes that the aliens might not like it. Oh, yeah. And... I do wonder if she, like, had a premonition about the water the same way she does about Morgan's death, and maybe that's why she has this habit in the first place. I forget that she's kind of, like, a little psychic, you know? Yeah. She's, like, very in tune with something. Something. Mm-hmm. She, got, she gets feelings, they said. She gets feelings, yeah. yeah. And it's funny also that it, like, probably would have worked, right? I feel like it, it might have worked <laughs> if they yeah. just, like, went to water. Yeah, like, it might have actually been better. (laughs) But they outvote him, so they board up the house, and I love Meryl, like, flaccidly throwing something into the cornfield out of paranoid suspicion. He's just like, ah, get out of (laughs) here. It's also, I mean, I love him. He's the one who comforts the kids, but also he sticks up for his brother. He's a great uncle. Uncle Meryl, one of the best uncles you can have. Hell yeah, hell yeah. they come. Swing away, Uncle Merrill. Swing away, Uncle Merrill. Uncle Merrill, swing away. <laughs> they start to assemble their, like, death row final meal. A last supper, if you will. I think about this meal all the time. <laughs> Chicken teriyaki. Mashed potatoes. A bacon cheeseburger. French toast. A little carb-heavy with mashed potatoes and French toast, but... Do it. I'll literally kill yourselves. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> what would be your last supper meal? Oh my god. What if I'm like shrimp scampi? <laughs> I don't know. French toast, mashed potatoes, <laughs> chicken teriyaki, and a bacon cheeseburger. Uh, it would probably be something along those lines. It would oh, probably yeah. be like avocado sushi, mashed potatoes, ribs, mm. just a smorgasbord of everything I would ever want. What about you? I love crabs. I'm a big crab guy. So if there was like some Sunday gravy crab sauce kind of stuff happening, I wouldn't say no to that. Dude, hell yeah. I love that. <laughs> what if someone was just like, I don't know, Chef Boyardee, ravioli. <laughs> hey, look, if there's any time to eat the absolute worst shit where you're like, I don't care about it being pure sodium anymore. <laughs> you're going, you're dying. It's done. Also, it's done. the English toffee from Trader Joe's. Mm. All of that. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I wonder, I like do wonder if he like went back out shopping because they had, he makes this food. <laughs> okay. I think about this all the time. What kind of stores do you have that you could just do this? How? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. They don't explain it. And honestly, we shouldn't overthink it. 
I actually, I've been to Newtown, and they have a chicken teriyaki, bacon, cheeseburger, mashed potatoes, and French toast store. It's a one-stop shop for those (laughs) things only. (laughs) (laughs) It worked out really conveniently for this family. Yeah. Thank God. Things are still tense, though. What's the matter with everyone? Eat, he says, Graham. Eat. (laughs) He has a breakdown. He starts crying. Because Graham refuses to pray despite Bo's bad feeling, and Morgan declares that he hates him for letting mom die. And then, yeah, he breaks down in the middle of stealing everyone else's food since they oh, refuse yeah, to eat. Yeah, he's gonna have a bite of everything, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, and then he's, like, sobbing. He's got, like, French toast, chicken teriyaki, mashed potato bite, and he's like... <laughs> <laughs> and then they all hug, and then, but Meryl doesn't hug, and then he grabs Meryl's shirt and brings <laughs> Meryl in for the hug, too. Always a little slow, always a little behind, Meryl. That's okay, Meryl. (laughs) It is sad. They're clearly all scared and dealing with the death of the mom still. But I do laugh when Mel Gibson yells, stop crying at the very tiny Abigail Breslin. Stop crying! (laughs) (laughs) Knight said that the kids got the scene super quick, which is tough. But he also said then that we went to Mel. And I don't know if you've ever tried to eat and be emotional at the same time. But it's impossible. Two separate things. <laughs> I mean, I disagree completely, but yeah, sure. <laughs> At least for M. Night and for Mel, apparently. They're interrupted by the baby monitor picking up a signal, and it is spooky, but again, it becomes clear when they're all touching, just like when they're on the car, which I thought was interesting. And he goes to check the TV, and it's just a test pattern, which is even spookier. But it's also kind of cool that the crop circles we've been seeing on the TV have now invaded the broadcast, the alien menace severing the flow of information. Mm-hmm. And the test pattern itself is kind of cool to me because while it is functioning as a representation of the threat, it's also another homage to those sci-fi B-movies. This is an adjusted version of the RCA test commonly used in the 50s and 60s. And it also seems possible to me that it's like a joke about M. Night's heritage since it's called the Indian head test pattern, although it would have to be a double entendre since the head in question was a stereotypical drawing of a Native American at the time. So, I don't know, maybe he's playing with that, but it is, at the very least, a cool throwback to the 50s and 60s and uh, the movies that this is homaging. Totally. He says, it's happening, and we get more of the warped view through the glass, this time looking inward, though, and again up at the ceiling. Good view of the curtains here, too, which not only had the crop circles, but little stars in the center as well. And this is where Graham starts to comfort them. And he says, he tells Bo a story about her birth and how she smiled at him, despite not being a thing babies can do, apparently. <laughs> it so is. Like, everyone says, like, babies, they say babies. Babies that young can't smile. Literally, they can smile right away. It's like every single baby could do it, and it's a, a totally unique thing every time. <laughs> it's fine. The point is, Bo is special, and she is. So Hell yeah. They do forget Isabel, which is fucked up, and she gets got if the Yelps are to be believed. I That upsets me so much. Like, I, I have a hard time believing that any of those kids would forget about es- Isabel. Yeah, I they're pissed. That- it's a plot device. I, I get it. Like, you know, she's the first mm-hmm. to go. We hear her die, too, which is really upsetting. It is. It really is. She wonders. And, like, knowing how the, the aliens, like, kill their prey, in retrospect, like, you can hear that happening. Like, she just whimpers until she's out, you know, from whatever yeah. 
spray is. I love the panning around the room with the sound design being center stage here. The running around, the methodical pounding on the door, one bang on each, which is scary. (laughs) Just one bang. The front, the back, they're scrambling around on the roof and they get into the attic. And Morgan is scared now, too, so Graham breaks out the story of his birth, where he almost killed his mom, but then she introduced herself to him and said that she looked just like how he dreamed. And this is possible that, like, they're trying to say, oh, the gift of dream prophecy passed down from mother to daughter. And it's like, well, if aliens are real, I guess, why not? Yeah, sure. Honestly, at this point, sure. (laughs) They do have to run to the basement, which is a cool reflection of the pantry scene, with Graham now being the one locked in. But of course, as soon as Graham realizes he's not ready to die, Meryl accidentally breaks a light bulb. And this is such a cool scene. Uh, Knight said that this serves as their hell, so they wanted it pitch black and to shoot it with all flashlights. And you can see how this would be really powerful in theaters, you know, just total darkness. It's really scary, too. Like, this basement is frightening in general. Like, (laughs) watching it is scary, being in it would just be horrifying. And they get in through the coal chute. And Morgan is standing right in front of it, and the hand, I love this scare, where you can see the hand hanging there all camouflaged, and it's fantastic. It's so scary. That is so <laughs> fucking scary. And they're all just kind of, like, watching yeah. like, in oh horror. Yeah, oh my god. Seeing this happen, and he's like, what? And it <laughs> grabs him. Ugh. They do get him back and they block the shoot, but it gives Morgan an asthma attack and they don't have his medicine. And this is what Bo says that she dreamed. Mm. And they only had 30 minutes to shoot this <laughs> because they needed to get those kids uh, weren't going to be leaving for the day. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so they said, we 30 gotta get this. Yep. Holy shit. And it's the first time that Graham is acknowledging God and it's through hatred But the first step to regaining faith is allowing a connection at all. And, you know, they say the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy. And so uh, he's facing his nightmare with his son, which allows him to grow. Mm -hmm. And that night he dreams again of Colleen's death. We get more of it, but he's woken up by Meryl, who found some light bulbs. And the radio is reporting that the aliens are leaving, but they killed a lot of people with poison gas, but they are retreating, which is great. The problem is, is that they're also leaving behind a lot of their wounded, and it establishes why, spoiler for a few seconds from now, the alien wanted revenge on Graham. He's the cause of his failing with no fingers now, and while also letting M. Night link not taking care of your sick and needy to the barbaric behavior of these aliens, so you get some classic sci-fi commentary in there. Yeah. I do really like the way that it looks when they notice the alien in the reflection of the TV, and you can see the camo on the alien going wild. It's very cool seeing it not only take Morgan's shirt pattern when it grabs him to hold it hostage, but you can even see Graham's face like appear on its wrist. Yes, yeah, it's just like this weird mirror-like lizard skin thing. And you don't ever get like a great view of it, you know? It's never like, you don't ever get a great look at it. Yeah, everything, it's always through a reflection or a distortion or something. Mm -hmm. Graham notices that this is the guy from before. He flashes back, and we finally get the last conversation between Graham and his wife. Knight was like, yeah, we wanted to break the ice with Mel, so this was the first thing we shot, and it was right after the candlelight vigil for the victims of the terror attack. So it is both chronologically first, technically, and the first thing they shot. Oh my god. Whoa, this conversation between Colleen and Mel is the first thing that they shot? Mm-hmm. Two days after 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. That's a lot to take in. 
pretty intense. Pretty intense. Yeah. Swing away, Merrill. Finally makes sense, though, and he grabs the record bat from the wall. More cool reflections, and the alien realizes he's in trouble. He sprays poison at Morgan. Also, we can see the screaming bow appear on its back as Merrill starts to kick its ass, which is cool. Yeah. And in the scuffle, some water spills on the alien and burns it. So Merrill starts using the left-around water glasses to attack it, and eventually one of them pours on its face, killing it as it's reflected one last time in the TV, which is now cracked. It's such a good, that's such a good moment. Yeah, I love it. And it's so cool because it suddenly switches to the first person view with the frame like covered in water as it pours on us. Yeah, yeah. And it's really cool. It feels almost like another Hitchcock reference as well to Spellbound this time where suddenly we're in the killer's POV and they like turn the gun on themselves at the end. And I just think that it's really cool. You know, this is a great final like last confrontation for them against the aliens. Yeah, totally. It's epic. Now, the family gathers outside while Graham talks about how Morgan's lungs were closed from the asthma, so no poison got in, although he's sure looking in rough shape. He's, like, trying to manifest that this is true, yeah. Exactly, and he does come back, though. It's very sweet. This handheld camera during the revival is a nice touch to add some doubt and feel what the characters are feeling, and Graham's faith is renewed. Dun-da-da-da! <laughs> <laughs> As we pull back through the now broken window, from, uh, but it's the, the window from the earlier, we get another look at the backyard, now filled with the family together, uh, again, taking the window as a frame. You can see this image as a snapshot representing both the family and now sort of this Norman Rockwell-style American ideal being attacked but still surviving with the crack in it. And it's a really cool pan as we continue to retreat and time jumps to winter. Graham emerges from the bathroom like the beginning of the movie, but his reverence collar is on now again. And the wall with the taken down cross is now covered in family photos, which is nice. And the painting above his bed is Grant Wood's spring plowing, obviously about renewal, as well as being a funny name for a painting above your bed. (laughs) I want that. (laughs) And it fades out as we hear the sound of children playing. Great, great movie. And now, Bailey, we've reached the point of the episode where we sum up why it's not just a really good horror movie, but is in fact... The best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. Why it's the best horror movie ever made. That's right. I think you heard me gush in the beginning. It has purpose. It has an argument. It's like saying something. You know, it's not there to just scare you. It's there to scare you and make you think and make you true behavior. It's presenting such a lovely argument and such a clear thesis the whole time. And it's so fucking funny. Like, it is one of the fun and like intentionally funny it's not just like shitty and funny like it was it's just brilliant like i think it's yeah i would say all of those reasons is why it's the best horror movie of all time hell yeah to me this is the best horror movie ever made because it is such a complete encapsulation of m night's style and that it is very funny it is scary at times it has a unique delivery to the lines, but it's also fitting the movie perfectly. That, like, the stylization of it is working with the movie. Yeah. And there's so much going on in terms of the themes and the motifs and everything happening. You know, you have this child who's angry at their father. This relationship is then reflected in Graham's relationship to quote unquote the father, uh, yeah. God. And the alien attack kind of breaks you down to build you back up. 
for your for your lost faith and everything. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. We talked about the performances, which are all just absolutely incredible. Child acting is so difficult, and there are two amazing child performances in this. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix is great in this. R.I.P. Mel Gibson. Shame that you died after this and were replaced by an alien because this is a great performance. And that's why this is the best horror movie ever made. Yeah. Uh, Bailey, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Tell people where they can find you. Check out your comedy, all that jazz. Yeah, across platforms on social media. I'm at Bailey E. Norton. If you're in Los Angeles, I run two monthly shows. I'm doing, I'm, I'm co-headlining a show next week in Springfield, Missouri, if you're around there. And yeah. You can catch me all, all the time. I'm around. Hell yeah. Definitely check her out. She's very, very funny. And uh, as far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. That username applies pretty much everywhere, including Instagram and Letterboxd, but also Patreon. If you're enjoying the show, there is a Patreon for just a couple bucks a month, and you get bonus episodes with all kinds of stuff. We just had Mike Mitchell from the Doughboys back to talk about The Blob 1988, which oh, was a lot of fun. I love Mike. Mike's one of my oh. buddies. Sweetie, absolute sweetie. And we had a great time talking about that movie. So if you also think Mike Mitchell is a sweetie, check that out for just a couple bucks. <laughs> and uh, he also, but also there's a free episode. So get a taste of that. Uh, we talked about Child's Play because uh, he was very scared of dolls, <laughs> that doll in particular. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, check all that stuff out and rate and review if you're enjoying the show. All right, everyone. Bye.